first grade, he went to the public school, and a woman there uh, who was his teacher was extremely religious, and this was in first grade, and she noticed that Mike was writing with her left hand, and she was extremely upset by this because she thought, you're not supposed to write with your left hand. And so she told Mike, as a one-year-old, you're of the devil. (laughs) You're of the devil because you write with your left hand. And she actually would keep him after school and make him write with his right hand, and he would miss his bus, and then he'd have to ride home on the detention bus with all the other kids that were older, that were a little more disobedient than he was. And so it was just a really horrible thing. And you see, when we operate on religion, we add a bunch of extra rules to what God has told us to do. We believe that religion is one of the things that keeps people furthest away from Jesus in America. We go through the rituals, we do the traditions, we go to church, we get baptized, we say the prayer, we walk the aisle, and we do all these things, and then we don't need Jesus. And so what we want to focus on today is our need for Jesus. It's not up to us, it's up to God. You know, Paul, if you would open up to Galatians, it's, uh, if you're in the Red Bible, it's page 972. We're going to start in Galatians chapter 1. Paul also hated religion. Uh, he actually grew up very religious. He grew up as a Jew. Uh, he, was, he was a Pharisee. Um, he was actually sent out by the Sanhedrin, which is like the Jewish bigwigs, to go and talk about Judaism to people and to persecute the Christians. And while Paul is out teaching and persecuting, Jesus shows up. This is about a year or two after Jesus died and rose again, and Paul is traveling, and Jesus shows up to him. And first, he blinds Paul, but then he opens Paul's eyes, and he opens Paul's heart to the truth of the gospel. About 12 years later, Paul goes out on a missionary journey, and he goes to tell people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do we have the map? All right, we have the map. Very cool. And so Paul goes out on this missionary journey. Uh, it's his first missionary journey. He goes, through, he goes on several missionary journeys, but this is his first. And Paul goes through the region of Galatia, the southern region. And so he actually comes along here, goes up. Uh, he goes to Antioch, uh, Iconium, Derby, I believe Lystra as well. And then he returns to his hometown of Antioch. And when he goes to the region of Galatia, he preaches to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. But a year or two later, when he's back at home in Antioch, uh, he, is, he, he hears about a problem. There have been false teachers that have infiltrated the church that have, what he says here, distorted the gospel. They have added to the gospel. They have said, Jesus is good. We love Jesus. But you also need to do all these other things. And Paul is angry. He is ticked off. And we'll see that in his letter but Paul is, is very urgent in what he has to share. And so if you would, let's read along in Galatians chapter 1. As we read along, I want to just encourage you to know this, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not a peripheral issue in Christianity. It is central. It is the issue. And that's why Paul is so adamant on purifying or making sure the pure gospel is preached. So let's look at Galatians 1. We'll read verse 1 through 10. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the church of Galatia. 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we open your scriptures and we read about this gospel that Paul talks about, Lord, we pray that you would transform our heart, God. All of us bear the marks of religion in our life. All of us, in some way or another, have probably been wounded by extremely religious, zealous people, God. May we find the freedom in the gospel of Jesus Christ that you desire for us to have. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, what we want to do is very simple. Just to start the series is we want to explain the gospel. We want to share what is this gospel that frees us from religion. And we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the validity of the gospel. Is it really true? The message of the gospel. What is this gospel message? And finally, the exclusivity of the gospel. Meaning, is there another gospel or is this is? Is this the only good news that we have? So let's start by looking at the validity of the gospel. Paul writes this letter to the Galatians, and he really has two major emphasis. One emphasis is that he wants to uh, defend his apostolic uh, position, that he is an apostle. But the second thing he wants to defend is the gospel that he's preaching, all right? He starts off this book defending his apostolic uh, approach, his apostolic position that Christ has given to him. And so I want to look really quick and see what is an apostle. Uh, An apostle is a special messenger. Okay, it's not up there. Uh, An apostle is a special messenger with a special status, enjoying an authority commission that came from a body higher than himself. And so Basically, it's just someone that is sent by someone who has more authority. For a Christian, is it there now? All right. Uh, For a Christian apostle, excuse me, Christian apostle, can you go next slide, please? A Christian apostle, just putting this in the Christian context is this. It is a messenger that was personally chosen, called, and commissioned by Jesus Christ, and authorized to teach in his name. And so these are people that were sent by the physical Jesus, to go and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, I am an apostle. In verse 1, he says, Paul, an apostle, not from man, nor through man. See, before Paul was an apostle of man, he was an apostle through men. He was an apostle of the Jews. The Sanhedrin, as we said earlier, they sent him out. They said, go and teach people about Judaism. Uh, We want you to put down Christianity and tell everyone the truth. And so Paul went out until he was confronted by Jesus, and Jesus made him an apostle 
of Jesus. And so he was no longer an apostle that you, he was made apostle by Jesus and by God. And so that's where his apostleship comes from. He goes on to say in verse one, but through Jesus Christ, who, who made all of the disciples apostles, and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. It's really interesting in this first few verses here, Paul says, I'm an apostle, but he distinguishes himself from the brothers, right? Not everyone is an apostle. There's Paul, he says, I'm an apostle, and here are these brothers in the Lord. I appreciate them. I love them. They confirm the gospel that I'm preaching, but they're not an apostle. This is really important because what we need to know is that the message is dependent on the one who sends the messenger. And if Jesus Christ has sent Paul, then we need to receive his gospel message. But if Paul sent himself, or if he just imagined it, then his gospel is up for debate. And that's exactly what the false teachers did in Galatia. They said, this Paul, he wasn't even a Christian when Jesus was alive. How could he be an apostle? And so they said, I'm not really sure about his gospel message either. Let me give you an example. I, I work from home many days. We have, we live in a two-story house, and many times I'm working upstairs on my sermon or on whatever, and when it comes dinner time, my youngest son, or sorry, my oldest son, Corbin, who's four-year-old, cute little kid, comes up and he'll say, Daddy, it's eat time when it's dinner time. And so I would shut everything down, and I would go downstairs, and dinner would be ready. Well, one time Corbin comes up, and he says, Daddy, it's eat time. And so I shut everything down. I go downstairs. Nothing's set on the table. The dinner doesn't appear to be ready. And I look at Trish and I said, did Corbin tell you to come upstairs and tell me that it was dinner time? And she said, no. And so Corbin just started coming up on his own saying, Daddy, it's eat time. It's dinner time. And so now when Corbin comes upstairs, what I do is I say, did your mom send you? Because <laughs> he'll come upstairs and say, it's eat time. Did your mom send you? And he'll either say no, which in that case means I'll keep working, or he'll say yes, which means I need to get downstairs in a hurry because, you know, if mom ain't happy, nobody's happy. And so I get downstairs as fast as I can, right? But it all depends on if he's sent or not, right? If he's sent by his mom, I know to go. If he's not sent by his mom, I keep working. It matters whether or not Paul was sent by God. If he wasn't sent by God, then his gospel is up for dispute. But if he was sent by God, then there is no other gospel than the one that he preached. And what you see is that there is a direct link between Paul's apostleship and Paul's gospel. If Paul was not an apostle, his gospel may not be true. But if it is, if his gospel, if his apostleship is really true, then that means we need to listen to his gospel. Today, there's many people who would give themselves the authority of an apostle. They, they wouldn't claim, hey, I'm an apostle. They would probably call themselves a scholar, uh, a educator, something like that. They would say, you know, I understand Paul's gospel, and that's really good for him, but, you know, we're more learned now. We're smarter, and we can really take, take, you know, take a step back and see what the true gospel is. And so they'll change it. They'll add things to it. They'll say, yeah, we know that you need Jesus, but you also need this or that, this sacrament, that sacrament. You need to give this much money or that much money. You need to dress in this way or listen to this type of music or not listen to this type of music, and then you'll be saved. And then you can know God. 
there's only one apostle. I'm sorry, there's only one group of apostles. The ones that Jesus commissioned. In Mark 3.14, I believe that's up there as well, uh, Jesus said this, and he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles. Why? So that they might be with him and, might, and he might send them out to preach. The apostles were sent out to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are no apostles alive today. The apostolic gospel is written in the scriptures for you and for me to know. Because Paul's apostleship was valid, his gospel was valid. So that's the validity of the gospel. Secondly, let's look at the message of the gospel, and this is really important. If I asked you, what is the gospel, how would you answer? I've asked several people, and I've had friends that have asked several people, what is the gospel? And I will get responses such as, it's the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which is true. It's called the gospel. I'll get, um, it's the good news of Jesus Christ, which is true. Gospel literally means good news. But it all points to a message that is the gospel, that is the good news, that is in those books of the Bible. And so what we want to do is we want to look and let uh, Paul, the apostle, define the gospel for us, right? Because we're not apostles, Paul is. So let's see how Paul defines the gospel. Look with me, if you would. Um, Let's look in verse 3. He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Many times we would just glance over this verse, say, you know, he's just greeting them. But this is actually a very profound statement if the gospel is true, which we're going to further flush out here in a second. But it's by the grace of God, by his unmerited favor and love for you, that you get the gospel. And it brings you peace, not just with God, but with each other. And so it's in the grace and peace of God that he sends this to you. All right, now let's continue. By the way, in your bulletin, sorry I didn't say this, there is an outline if you're a note taker that will help you follow along with, with what we're doing. But you can follow along up here as well. So he goes through what the gospel is, and he talks about what the gospel need is. And the gospel need is sin. It's our sin. He says very clearly in verse 4 that he gave himself for our sin. You see, religion tells people that, you know what, you are a pretty good person. You have a few flaws, and what you need is you need Jesus just to make up those flaws. And so you make it about 80% of the way, and Jesus covers the remaining 20%. But what the gospel tells us, the gospel is far more honest. The gospel sees that we sin in our hearts, in our minds, and with our hands. That we sin uh, in acts of commission, where we do things that we shouldn't do, but we do do. In acts of omission, which means that there are things that we're supposed to do, like loving mercy and acting justly that we don't do, that sin is pervasive, that affects every relationship that we're in. It affects marriage, it affects uh, your relationship with your brothers and your sisters, it affects your work relationship, your recreation. Sin is extremely pervasive. And so what the gospel tells us is that we're sinners and that we need a savior. This is extremely offensive to religious people. If you tell them that They do not earn God's love by their own merit, by their own favor. They become crushed because that's where their hope has been. The method of the gospel is the cross, the death of Christ for our sins. It says that Jesus gave himself for our sin. 
Your sin is the reason why Jesus went to the cross. Your sin is that bad. My sin is that bad. It's so bad that Jesus needed to come and die that horrific of a death because like you and like me, that's what we deserve. But Jesus paid that price for us. The result of Jesus dying on the cross, as it says here in verse 4, is that he, he gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. The Bible sort of divides history into two parts. There's the present evil age, and there's the age to come. The present evil age is an age of suffering, of mourning, of pain, of frustration, of anger, of anxiety. And the age to come is an age of peace and redemption. It's a peace of confidence. Um, it's, it's, a, it's an age in which we are with God continually. We no longer even have the ability to sin in the age to come. And what happens is when Jesus dies on the cross, he takes us positionally and moves us from the present evil age and moves us into the age to come. That we can now walk with Christ. That we can now live with him, love him, cherish him, enjoy him. That we can walk in peace and not anxiety. These, these, uh, these two ages run parallel right now. There's the present evil age and the age to come. They're running simultaneously. And God gives us the choice every day to walk in the age to come or to walk in the present evil age if you have been saved, if you have been reborn by God. And so he says he delivers us out of the present evil age and he, he transfers us into the age to come. See, Christianity and the gospel is about deliverance. It's about saving. It's about rescue. Religion is about doing good works. It's the, it's the Santa Claus gospel. You know what I mean? You have to be a good person, and then Santa will bring you gifts, right? That's a lot of what you might hear at some churches, that when you are a good person, God will bless you. God will care for you. Uh, Jason actually has a, a screensaver that says, God is not in love with the future version of you. God is in love with the version of you right now, just as you are. He came for sinners. He died for sinners to love you. You don't need a little Savior. You need a big Savior, just like me. And so he came to deliver us into the age to come. And the source of this gospel, in verse 4, it says, According to the will of our God and Father, he extended his grace to us. He, he loved us when we didn't deserve it. He still loves you today. When God looks at you, he smiles because of the blood of Christ, because of Christ's death on the cross. And you have peace with God. You are no longer his enemy. You no longer have to worry about his judgment and punishment on you if you trust in Jesus Christ. And the purpose of the gospel is this, and it's, it's very neat to see. Verse 5 says, To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The primary purpose of the gospel is not about you. The primary purpose of God's salvation is about God. <laughs> Just like everything is. It's to glorify God. When God saves you, when he rescues you, when he delivers you, he glorifies himself. He shows the extent of his love and his mercy and his grace when he saves people like us. Religion will maximize man's work. It will give you a list of to-dos. It will give you a list of what not to do, right? And it will say, this is what will make God pleased with you. The gospel 
doesn't maximize man's efforts, but it maximizes God's efforts. The gospel says that God is the hero, not me. God is the one who is all-sufficient. He is the one that saves, not me. Many of you remember two Januaries ago, a little over a year ago, a U.S. Airways plane touched down in the Hudson River. It, was, uh, it took off from LaGuardia, LaGuardia Airport. I don't know if I said that right. But it went down in the Hudson River, and there were 155 people on board. And the air temperature at the time was 20 degrees. The water temperature was 36 degrees. And so it was extremely cold outside. The water was extremely cold. You, remember, you may remember the images of people unpiling and stepping out onto the wings and just waiting for rescue boats to come by. I know that some of them, seeing interviews, had thought, maybe I should swim for the shore. Maybe I should go for it and see if I can make it. But then they quickly came to a realization that, you know what, I'm going to freeze and I'm going to die if I try to make it to the shore. And so they had to wait for the rescuers. And the rescuers came and saved them and delivered them off of that plane. What religion does, religion jumps in the water and starts swimming for the shore. But they're going to die. You cannot make it to the shore by your own merit. And that's what Paul is preaching against in this whole book. People who think, yes, we have to love Jesus, but there's all these other things that we need to do that we need to add to it to, sa- to be saved, to know God, to live in that age to come. In all of us, we have some religion. We have trouble believing that God is really pleased with me simply because of the blood of Jesus. We believe that, you know what, maybe God uh, loves me, but he doesn't really like me. And what Paul is saying is that by the blood of Christ, God not only loves you, he likes you, he delights in you, he rejoices in you. When you wake up in the morning, he's waiting for you to spend the day with you, to care for you, to enjoy you, for you to enjoy him. But when you're religious, you have to work hard, like on a treadmill, always trying to please God and always falling short. So are you a religious person or are you a Christian? Do you swim for the shore or do you call out to Jesus to come and rescue you? Finally, let's look at the exclusivity of the gospel. Simply, is the gospel the only way for salvation or are there multiple ways to know God? Are there multiple ways to be saved? You notice here Paul has such great urgency in it. In most of the letters that Paul writes, Paul writes a a large majority of the New Testament. And when Paul writes, typically he says, you know, he gives his little greeting, and then he'll talk about, I pray for you, I thank God for you, I I thank God for how he's bearing fruit in your lives. Paul doesn't do any of that. (laughs) He goes straight for the jugular, because the gospel, the very core of Christianity, is at stake. He says there in verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him, who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. I'm astonished. What are you doing? And then he goes and he directs his attention on the source of the false gospel. He says in verse 7, there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. There are false teachers who came into the church that started telling the people another gospel that said, yes, we love Jesus, but you need to do these other things. You need to quit drinking. You need to quit dancing. You need to quit whatever it is, right? You need to get circumcised is what they would say. You need to follow the laws of the Old Testament, some of the ceremonial laws, which Christ canceled on the cross. 
And they say, you have to do these things for God to really be pleased with you, for God really to be happy with you. And so these false teachers come in, and they pervert the gospel is what it says. Some of the, some of the, uh, some of the translations say perverting the gospel or distorting the gospel. In the Greek, it actually means that you're reversing the gospel that you're completely turning it on its head because the true gospel is dependent upon God. But the reversed gospel, the perverted gospel, is dependent on you and on me. And this is serious. Um, There is a seriousness of a false gospel. Verse 6 says, again, I'm astonished that you are deserting him. The Galatians are abandoning not only the true gospel that Paul preached to him, but Paul is saying, you are abandoning God. You're abandoning him who saved you. And so you cannot abandon the gospel without abandoning God. It's not possible. So we have to hold on to the true gospel. Verse 8 goes on. Um, excuse me, verse 6. And They are turning to a different gospel, not that there is another gospel, that there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. They're abandoning, abandoning the gospel again by, they're abandoning God, excuse me, by abandoning the gospel. Verse 8 goes on, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And then he says it again in verse 9. And so if this roof opens up and an angel, maybe right there, it's a nice hole. If that hole opens up and an angel comes in and starts hovering in here, and it's magnificent, brilliant, beautiful, and starts to preach to you another gospel than the one that the apostles have written, Paul says, let him be cursed. Let that angel be cursed. If I, as your pastor, start to preach to you another gospel, let me be cursed. He's not talking about people that are trying to figure out. He's talking about teachers that would lead people astray by false gospel. He's saying, let them be accursed. You may wonder, why is Paul so harsh that he would that he would declare this curse on whoever preaches the false gospel. And really, there's two reasons. One is because the glory of Christ is at stake. You see, if we add our good works, if we have to supplement Christ's work on the cross, we actually minimize his work on the cross. We say it's not enough that what Jesus did on the cross was not perfect, that we need to do our own good works to make God accept us. And so it's actually derogatory towards Christ, but it also, what's at stake is the salvation of man. If we twist the gospel, if we change the gospel, men won't know how to be saved. They'll be doing all these things, running on the religious treadmill, trying to earn God's favor, when really it's right there by grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ. Some of you uh, may have heard this. It's, you know, there, there are bumper stickers out there that say coexist and things like that. I've, I've heard it explained this way. As we talk about the exclusivity of the gospel, if the gospel is the only way. Some people have said, you know, it's kind of like a mountain. And God is at the top of the mountain. And we're all climbing up different, different parts of the mountain. You know, whether you're Buddhist, you're Muslim, you're Jehovah's Witness, Mormon, Christian. We're all climbing up the same mountain. And while we can't see each other, we're all climbing up to the same God. Sounds really good, right? Sounds like, yeah, that sounds really nice. Here's the problem. We can't climb the mountain. No matter how good we are, no matter how hard we try, we can never reach the summit. And Christianity is the only one that says 
we don't climb up to God, God comes down to us. There's only one gospel, only one true gospel. Everything else fails. Everything honestly has to be dishonest because it says you have to be good enough, which is not possible. There's only one gospel. As a way of application, what you might find when you come to Jacob's well is that we have some issues that we're very stingy on theologically. Uh, These are called close-handed issues by others. The gospel is a close-handed issue. It's not up for debate. It's not up for discussion. This is the thing that we would die for, to protect. This is why Paul is so ferociously defending it. We would defend it because it is the core of Christianity. There are peripheral issues um, where there might be disagreements between churches, and we enjoy talking about them, debating them. Uh, Those are fine, but the gospel really is not for debate. And that's one reason why we love partnering with churches like Green Bay Community, because there are churches that are faithfully proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we want to encourage those churches, partner with those churches, love those churches, serve those churches in any way possible. But those are close-handed issues. Other things, open-handed. What age do you get baptized at? When do you take the Lord's Supper? We have opinions, strong opinions, but they're open-handed. We're, we want to talk about it. The gospel is a close-handed issue. And so if there is a teacher in your life, Maybe it's a high school professor, a college professor, maybe someone that has a PhD in religion, or even a pastor. If they would preach to you another gospel, like this angel, we need to reject their teaching. That's what Paul tells us. See, we don't, we don't, um, we don't examine the gospel in light of their teaching. We examine their teaching in light of the gospel. And we have to examine any teaching that is different than the teaching of Paul. Let me, let me uh, end with this illustration. I had, when I was in St. Louis, I had a good friend uh, that lived next to me. His name was Fred. Fred was about 65 years old. And Fred and I, we actually had a really cool relationship. He put in a little green light next to his window in his basement, which we called the doghouse. And when we would turn the green light on, that means I could come over and shoot pool. And so about three or four times a week, we'd go over and we'd shoot pool and just hang out, drink Cokes or beer or whatever and, and play. And we had a great time. Fred grew up in the church. Um, Fred actually went to Christian elementary school. He went to Christian high school. If he went to college, he would have gone to a Christian college. He was at church literally three to four times a week. Fred was a very religious man. He was not the main religious man, right? Kind of like that woman at the beginning who wanted Mike to write with his right hand. He was a very nice religious man, in many ways much more generous than me. And so one day, Fred and I were shooting pool, and he gave me a Coke because he's generous. And we're sitting there shooting pool, and I, I turn to Fred, who's, who's literally at church almost every day of the week, fixing something or going to service. And I look at him, and I go, Fred, do you know why Jesus died on the cross? And there's this five-second awkward pause. I said, no, I have no idea. I asked him, Don't, do you think that's important <laughs> to know? probably. And so for the next few minutes, I got to explain to him the true gospel of Jesus Christ. That made me so angry that he had been part of a church that had led him astray. I wanted him to know the joy of the Savior, the joy of the gospel. At Jacob's Well, as we walk through the series, we're going to continue to uncover the religion that's in society, but the religion that's even in our hearts, and be set free by the gospel that 
that sends us to go and enjoy God and enjoy his creation. See, there's only one gospel. It frees us from religion, and it's true. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that it is true, God. We thank you that there is no other gospel other than one true gospel. And we pray that you would help us to live in light of that true gospel, Lord, and continue to fall more in love with you as we seek to serve you and love you, God. Thank you that we are accepted, not by any merit of our own, but only by the merit of Christ and by his blood on the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.